Wonderful. Well, let's finish the hearing of Psalm 118. Some of these verses are extremely familiar uh, to you, and you'll recognize how some of them have been applied to the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 118, God's Word, beginning at verse 19. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them, and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And then from the book of 1 Peter, we've made progress because we're in chapter 2 now. Um, 1 Peter, chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 to 8. God's word from 1 Peter, chapter 2. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. This is God's own word. Please have a seat. I don't know whether you have a special blanket, but I had a blanket that was blue and white, and I loved it when I was one year old, and then when I was two years old, and I was three years old, and I was four years old, and I was five years old. But my blanket got smaller and smaller and smaller because my mom would wash it, and it would fall apart. And finally, there wasn't any blanket left. Now, it had been really precious to me, and I carried it around and sucked my thumb, probably. 
and uh, uh, I love my blanket. And maybe there are things that are precious to you, too. Uh, I have a granddaughter who has a llama, and she carries that llama, that stuffed llama, with her wherever she goes. And it doesn't look very good because she's held it and dragged it along the ground and everything, and it kind of looks kind of tired. But it's precious to her. Now, there's one precious thing or person that you'll never, never lose. It'll never become uh, small. It'll never become lost or anything. And that's Jesus. If you know Jesus, Jesus will be precious to you forever and ever and only become more precious through your whole life long. So we're going to talk about Jesus and how precious he is. So we're going to pray right now, okay? Father, we pray that you'll help us to understand um, how precious your son is and to love him uh, and to listen to him um, and to grow to know him more and more. We pray you'll do this for uh, our blessing and your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, um, the section we've come to in 1 Peter chapter 2 is so, uh, so full that um, I couldn't, uh, couldn't see how we could look at the whole thing without you feeling like, okay, two hours have passed, <laughs> three hours have passed, you know, one of those, one of those kinds of sermons. So we're actually going to look at it uh, in two parts. Uh, when I come back in uh, a few weeks, we'll look at more of section from 4 to chapter, in uh, verse 8 in chapter 2. Now, I've, uh, through the years, read a lot about um, the gospel and uh, uh, not only in scripture, but uh, books about the gospel. And one book that I was reading uh, reminded me that when we live out the Christian life, we have to be careful that we don't veer subtly in the direction of moralism. And moralism is basically that idea that uh, we're going to be on God's good child list. You know, we're coming up on Christmas and uh, there's always that uh, song that has about uh, are you naughty or nice kind of thing. Well, we're going to we're going to see that moralism always moves us in the direction of trying to be on God's nice list to be um, his good children. But the problem is, with moralism, we always mess up. We don't keep uh, following God. Uh, we don't trust in him. We take our eyes off Christ. And uh, the biblical way, the gospel, always starts with the work that Christ has done. Uh, that God has sent him to accomplish what we can't accomplish. And it, it leads us to uh, a greater love for God because we see his love for us. Uh, John, in his first epistle, wrote this in chapter 4, verse 10. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for 
our sins. So the way of the gospel has to start with us sensing, understanding the enormity of our sins. And if we just focus on that, if we just focus on the enormity of our sins, we become overwhelmed and uh, we give up, we despair. Um, but when we get those things in proper perspective, we see, we see that there is no way, no way at all that we can ever be good enough to pay for our sins. So we have to see that the restoration has to come from God. And John's words, propitiation, uh, you may remember, means that God takes uh, the wrath that's due to us and he puts it on his son. He has wrath against his son because of our sin, not anything that Christ has done. This kind of cosmic mercy of God giving up his son came from God's love, from his character. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And so, it's only by trusting in God's mediating work through Jesus Christ that our sinfulness and selfishness uh, can be covered. And Peter knows this. Peter's going to be talking about this in, uh, well, he talked about it in chapter 1. He's going to uh, just be applying it more and more throughout the book. Uh, he's trying to help those Christians in the first century not drift into moralism, not drift into accomplishing something uh, apart from the power of God and the mercy of God, because they're facing a hostile culture. Remember that they're a tiny little minority in a culture that is filled with idolatry and sexual perversion and the overwhelming tyranny of Rome. The hostility towards the gospel uh, was evident in so many ways. And, and we feel it, don't we, in our own country, that there's an increasing hostility towards Christian thinking. So those churches that major on feel good, on positive thinking, on the happy, clappy, prosperity gospel kind of thing are not preparing people for the day when you face real scorn for being a Christian, real animus for believing in Jesus Christ. Now, Peter has opened up the first part of this second chapter by calling us to exchange the deeds of the flesh uh, for uh, a righteousness that comes uh, from Christ. And that is seen in hungering uh, for the pure spiritual milk that we can grow up into salvation. We don't grow up into salvation by making ourselves apart from the grace of God more and more um, good, but instead by trusting Christ when we most need, need it. And then he ends up in verse 3 by quoting the Old Testament, if you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, you look at verse 4, where we're going to focus our attention, verse 4, and you see that it has the idea of coming. So we're going to have that question. To whom do we come? To whom do we come? Do we come to Christ? When we'll taste that all things are good, that the Lord's good. 
or do we come more and more to ourselves and our strength is weak and our ability to obey is poor. So he wants us to think about Christ and Christ is precious. And so we're going to think about three things in verse four, three things in verse four. First of all, Christ as the living stone mentions he's the living stone. It mentions that Christ is chosen by and is precious to God. The living stone, he is precious and chosen uh, by God. And third, he is rejected by men. Those are the three parts of verse four. So we want to think about that. So here's verse four. As you, God's people here, come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Now, we talk about coming to Christ. And usually the way evangelicals mean that is a one time I come to faith in Christ. That's it. But Peter is using here a, a participle phrase. So he says, you don't just come once. You are coming continually. You're coming over and over again. We never outgrow our need for Christ. Christ calls himself the living water and bread, the living bread. And how often do you need to drink? Do you get thirsty during the day? Do you drink once and then that's it? Or say, well, I don't need anything at all. No, God designed us to want that water, to, to thirst for that water. And we're to thirst for Christ. We can't survive without drinking from the fountain that Christ has opened for us. And our need for Christ never grows less. It never diminishes through our Christian life. In fact, as we grow in our Christian life, our maturity will oftentimes lead us to see the essential nature of belonging to Christ, of longing for Christ, of wanting to know Christ. And he becomes, in that sense, more precious to us. Just like I held on to that blanket year after year after year till there was nothing left. I come to Christ and I experience what Paul talks about in Colossians 2, that Christ is your life. Is Christ your life? Is he really the one in whom you find life and hope? Now, he says he is a living stone. Now, there are two words in Greek for stones or rocks. Peter is called Petros, the rock. But this is a different word. This is the word lethos, lithography, that kind of thing. Now, he is a living stone. Now, we don't think of stones as living. Stones are made up of minerals and so forth. But stones are necessary for things to endure. In Uganda, people build houses out of sticks and mud. Now, how's that going to hold up in a hurricane? How's that going to hold up in the rainy season? How's that going to hold up against termites? And over and over again, you'll see houses that are starting to fall down because they can't endure. 
In Peter's day, if you wanted something to endure, you built it of stone. Think about Israel in the wilderness. Israel in the wilderness had a tabernacle that God ordained because the people were living in tents. God was in their midst living in a tent. But when they settled down, when they came to the promised land, there was a temple, and that temple was built of stone. Now, Christ in the Gospel of John talks about himself as the final temple. He is the lasting temple. He is the temple that endures. And so we can meet any place. We're, we're meeting in a dance studio. We've, we've met in schools. We've met in uh, rented facilities and hotels. Churches meet in all kinds of things. But if we're built on Christ, we have a firm foundation. That's why we have to make sure that we're constantly coming back in our sermons and, and the way that we as a congregation think that we're constantly coming back to Christ. Christ is the one who gives us unity. We're diverse people. We, we come from diverse backgrounds. How do we have unity? The only way you have unity is in Christ. And when we have that unity in Christ, it is something that is built by God. Now, Christ is um, Christ is both a cornerstone, that's what uh, the uh, Psalm 118 talks about, uh, and he's also the capstone. The capstone is at the arch and holds the arch together. But Christ is the foundation. Uh, Christ is the one who holds everything together, and he's called a living stone in opposition to stones which are merely mineral or or without any life. Christ is the resurrected stone, you might say. He is the stone that can give life to the whole church. And so uh, look at verse 5, and he brings that to bear on the church. He says, you yourselves like living stones. How, how are we living stones? We're living stones because by faith, we are united to Jesus, who is the resurrected and living Lord. And so, because Christ has been resurrected, he holds all power in his hands. Power in heaven and on earth. Look at uh, verse 21 of chapter 1. Who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Christ, the glorified, ascended Lord, has all power in his hands to rule for the church. And he is precious in the sight of God. Look at that in verse 4. But as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Now, Christ is, first of all, an elect stone. It's the same word that's used again and again of God's people, Electone. On the cross, people mocked Christ and they said, uh, if you are the chosen one or the elect one, Luke 22, uh, 23, verse 35. They mocked Christ, but Christ was indeed the elect one. He was the chosen one. The Father chose him before the foundation of the world to be the Savior. And so when we are joined by faith to Christ, we have life in him and we are chosen in Christ. So many people as Christians wonder, am I elect or not? 
Well, that's something hidden in God. But do you believe in Christ? Christ is the chosen one. You will find your election by coming to Christ. It's like when you're a kid, you know, and you're choosing sides for a ball game. And you feel like waving your hand, pick me, pick me, pick me. And they, they pick all the kids who are good, you know, all the kids you can throw and catch and, and hit. Um, and, and then one side gets stuck with you because you're not, not a good player. Well, if you think of it, we're all last kid picked. None of us. None of us are worthy. All of us have sinned against God and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us can catch. None of us can hit. None of us get chosen. But there's one who is, and that's Jesus. And so when we're joined by faith to Christ, we have our election based on grace and mercy because of God's choosing of his son. Now, Jesus is precious. And this word precious is very uh, rare in the New Testament. And there's a quote from Isaiah going on here in verse 4. Isaiah 28:16 says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested or elect stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. And then he calls us to have faith in Christ. Now, this word precious appears a couple of times in the Gospels. Uh, One place that it appears that helps us is in Luke chapter 7, verse 2. Luke 7, verse 2. It talks about the centurion who comes and he has a slave and that slave is precious to him. That servant is is not just... um, a living tool, as they they called slaves. But that servant is treasured by his master. I performed a a funeral many years ago. And uh, it was for a man who was not not a Christian, as far as I knew. Uh, He was a tough old bird. He was a hardworking man. Um, He didn't seem very very kindly or anything. But the day of his funeral, the casket was in the, um, the foyer. His wife came in, and she was probably in her 80s. His wife came in and ran, ran over to the casket and threw herself on the casket, crying out, Bill, my Bill. They'd been married so many years. And she considered him precious. Wasn't to us precious. He was just kind of an old guy. But to her, he was precious. Can you understand that Jesus Christ is precious? And if you are in him, you are precious to the Father in heaven too. That's incredible. That's an amazing thing. Now, I love my grandkids. I love them. They're precious to me. But you don't know them. They're not particularly precious to you. The gospel tells us that God sent his precious son, his treasured son, 
to suffer wrath in our place, in the place of sinners, so that when we think of it, we understand the love of God for us. That God would do this. Something that we cannot begin to comprehend. The Christian has the incredible privilege of being treasured by a holy God because the treasured son bore our judgment. This is why when we think about it, Jesus Christ will receive glory forever and ever. That every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And this is why, because the Son is treasured by the Father, those who despise Jesus will face the wrath of God forever. If somebody tried to hurt one of my grandkids, I'd be very, very angry and upset. But the Father in heaven looks at his treasured, blessed son and says, you don't love my son. You face my judgment forever. That's something to think about when you think about the people that you deal with. Now, Peter's going to uh, address this to uh, the church. Uh, Look at verse 6 and following. Uh, God has laid a cornerstone in Zion. This is the cornerstone that we believe in. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. It's tragic, but we have to keep saying it. In our own day, the abandonment in churches of the centrality of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross is terrible. A new survey coming from Lingonier Ministries shows how little evangelical Christians understand of the gospel, how little they understand. Christless Christianity, we think, used to be confined to liberalism, but that's not the case now. In evangelical circles, you will find the same forgetting the centrality of Christ. The church has to hold Christ as precious because the Father does. And if we don't, we should be condemned. Now, Christ is chosen and precious by the Father, but he's rejected by men. So we have to look at that as well. That's the third thing. The unbelieving world's view of Christ is one of despising him. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. His word here, rejected, is another participle. But this one is what's called a perfect passive participle. It's a participle that uh, points from the past to the present and beyond. Christ was despised then and his being despised continues to have an effect now. That word despised or rejected has two parts. The first part is from and the second part is to take approval of, to um, reject something. I had a, a lawn service company a few years ago And after a while, I had to get rid of them. They were rejected. 
they weren't going to get any more of my money. So the Son of God is precious to the Father, but he is not precious to man. Think back to Christ's own experience during his ministry. How Christ was mocked and taunted on the cross. This verse echoes back to Psalm 118 where Peter again quotes the idea that Christ was hunted and murdered by Jewish leaders and despised by the Jewish nation. Fulfilling the words of Isaiah 53 that he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, like one from whom men hide their faces. What John said, that he came into his own, and his own received him not. This is what Peter boldly preached on the day of Pentecost. If you read Peter's sermons, you say, how can he get away with this? Now, we have to be careful Because we can't stand, if we're Christians, we can't stand in a place of, well, I'm not like that. It's only God's mercy that allows us to believe in Christ, to hold on to Christ. There was a time when you and I did not obey Christ, did not obey God's word. We didn't love him. We didn't praise him. And sometimes we have to say to our shame that we don't praise him worship him or obey him that we reject the rule of Christ over our hearts because we love our sin too much now Peter wants us to not leave on that note but to remember who Christ is the glorious and precious chosen son of God is an offense to people because he's a rebuke to sin He's a rebuke to human pride and a judgment on our attempts to be self-righteous and self-sufficient. We hate to admit the fact that we failed and that we have to ultimately go to the living stone to get deliverance. We come again and again to Christ. Remember, Peter's word in verse 4 is you're not coming just once. You're coming always to Christ, coming to him as your living hope, as your precious hope. Years ago, I learned that that hymn that um, is oftentimes seen only as a children's hymn. But as I get older, it becomes more and more the hymn that I think about. I am so glad that our father in heaven tells of his love in the book he has given Wonderful things in the Bible I see. This is the dearest, that Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves even me. Though I forget him and wander away, still still he doth with love me wherever I stray. Back to his dear loving arms do I flee when I remember that Jesus loves me. Oh, if there's only one song I can sing when in his beauty I see the great king, this shall my song in eternity be. Oh, what a wonder that Jesus loves me. Now, if you're a fan of the Lord of the Rings, 
either the movies or the books or both. You remember that Gollum, the character, talks about the ring in a particular way. He calls it my precious. My precious. And he loved that ring, was bound to that ring, even though that ring would destroy him, ultimately destroy him, make him the horrible creature that he was. But if you cling to Jesus, if you find in him your precious, then you love what God loves. It's ultimately not my love for Christ, chosen and precious though he is, but it's his love for me, where it all begins. God the Father has made him for us the living stone. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you, by your mercy in Christ, would help us to love Christ more to love him uh, and to treasure him as uh, chosen and precious in your sight. Thank you, Father in heaven, that there is nothing greater in all the world than to know and be known by you. We pray you'll bless your people. In Jesus' name, amen.